Uh, Luke chapter number one, though, where we're at today, and uh, we start out in Luke one, verse one, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So we're about to look at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And then we're going to look at, as we continue in Luke, the announcement of the birth of Christ and the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. But, but in preparation for that, I think it's important to know that Luke is, is, is really giving his credentials of how he came up with this. Now, yes, the Bible is God-breathed, like God-inspired, uh, or God gave the writers. They were human authors, but they were under the direction of the Holy Spirit to write these things down. And sometimes, though, I think when we, when we think of inspiration like that, we almost have this viewpoint of like the writers were like in this trance, you know, and this voice from above is giving them every word to write. And yet that's not the picture, I don't think. Yes, God gave them the words to write. God guided them through his spirit. But they wrote with their own personality. They wrote with their own style. And here Luke is telling us <coughs> that he has interviewed eyewitnesses of these events. He's gathered written documents that they had. Probably some of Matthew's, definitely some of Mark's gospel he would have used. And he's compiling all of these documents and all of these accounts from eyewitnesses. And he's saying, look, what I'm writing to you is historical facts. Now, Luke was a, was a very educated physician. In fact, we think that he was probably like Paul's personal physician. So, so Luke is an intelligent man. And he's writing on an assignment from a man by the name of Theophilus. And notice the phrase where it says, thou most excellent Theophilus. This would have been a title that would have been given to someone who was high up in a leadership position. So this is a government, a Roman official by the name of Theophilus, who is, we think, a believer, probably. I mean, his name, Theophilus, means lover of God. And yet Theophilus is telling Luke, look, I'm commissioning you. I'm bankrolling this whole operation for you to travel, for you to go, for you to interview these eyewitnesses. There's a, a short time left where there's eyewitnesses that are still alive and that are going to give you the account of these things that Luke's going to write about. And so Luke is interviewing these eyewitnesses. Theophilus, this high up Roman official, has much to lose. But what he's wanting to do is follow the truth wherever it leads. And so he is funding this and commissioning Luke to travel, to compile documents, to interview eyewitnesses. And this is what is so important because today, fast forward right from then to 2,000 years later, one of the biggest objections to Christianity is, look, it's legend. 
It's a legend. Yes, Jesus existed. And yes, he probably did some of, some of these things. But the story just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So it used to be, it's kind of an old argument that, um, that atheists and skeptics don't really use anymore. And you hear sometimes Christians will answer the objection. And, and, and skeptics and atheists are like, well, we're not even using that as an argument. You guys are just building this straw man argument and knocking it down. But that's not even our argument anymore of that Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. It has to be one of the three. But the skeptics today say, well, it's none of those. It's just legend. It's just legend. The story grew and it got a little bit bigger and bigger. And, you know, it just, it changed. All of a sudden now you have this Jesus, this miracle worker being God. And so they say that's just legend, right? The story got bigger and bigger. But keep in mind here, Luke is interviewing eyewitnesses. Look, there wasn't enough time for legend to develop. And as we get into all of the, 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 um, the manuscript evidence, which could be a whole other sermon, and we've done that multiple times here at Crosspoint, that the manuscripts that, are, that have been found, there's, there's fragments of manuscripts that, that, that actually give us really good evidence of early datings of the Gospels. And so what that means is this. It means that these, this, this, there wasn't enough time for legend to develop. That Luke is interviewing eyewitnesses. He's gathering documents that are compiled. And he's saying, these are the things I'm writing to you with certainty. With certainty. And that can give us confidence. That's not the only reason that we would believe Christianity is true. But that is a significant piece of the puzzle of knowing that the, the, the genre in which the Gospels are written is, is that it's grounded in historical fact. In fact, Luke wrote a sequel, the book of Acts. And, and in Acts, he highlights like the actions of Christ's followers. And in, in the book of Acts alone, there's 84 confirmed eyewitness details just in the book of Acts. And I would say that's significant. That's significant. It's written not as, as in, in, in the genre of, oh, this is just fictional. No, it's things, it's like the gospel writers are saying, we dare you. To fact check us. Because it uses specific places and specific names of people. And this is what Luke now is writing. So Luke is this investigative uh, journalist who's compiling these things together. And he starts out now, it says, there was in the days of Herod. So he used a specific name of Herod. Herod was known as Herod the Great. Although he wasn't so great. Like this guy had this ego Herod was, was a narcissistic lunatic. And I say that like that's just a fact. This guy was crazy. He was so paranoid that remember when the wise men came and, and after Jesus was born and they, they used the phrase, we're searching for Jesus, the king of the Jews. Well, he became so paranoid. He wanted to murder Jesus. And so he, when, when he found out the wise men weren't going to cough up the information about where he was... He goes on this killing spree of all the babies, two and younger. I mean, Herod was just insane. Herod, so God's people had the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where they worship God. <coughs> Excuse me. Next to that, Herod had his house and his temple uh, basically signifying, I have no interest in, a, in God reigning over me. I'm fine to rule alongside next to him. But, but Herod had no interest in another king. Herod had no interest... And someone reigning over him. 
So as crazy as Herod was, though, Herod was known for a lot of architect and buildings. In fact, his footprint is still there today. Some of you have maybe had the privilege of traveling there uh, to uh, Israel and in, in that area. And, and you see, you would see that there's still Herod's footprint of the things that under Herod that were, were built. So here we have a specific name. And now Luke's going to give us another specific name, which is who we're going to talk about today. It's a couple, a ministry couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth. So he says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Elizabeth comes from the line of Aaron. Think priests, like the priestly line. So this is a ministry couple. They're doing ministry together. And, and Zacharias would have been probably from a small region, pretty much unknown, a small area. And what would happen is the priest, they would serve in teams. So he was of the team of Abiah, and, and there, were, there were 24, um, 24 like priest teams that would, they would serve together, right? And there was thousands and thousands of, of priests. Like there were, the, he, he was of the, the team Abiah, right? But there were also like hundreds of other priests. Well, what they would do is they would rotate. They would, they would serve in shifts so that the temple would always be staffed. Now, there would be occasional times like Passover and big events like the Feast of Tabernacles where they would all kind of make that pilgrimage back to the temple. But this particular time, it was, it was Zechariah's turn or their team of priests of the course of, of Abiah. And again, there's 24 divisions, about 750 priests in each division. This is a lot of priests. So it came time where Zacharias was going to go to the temple and it, they were randomly selected which priests would burn, burn incense on what was called the altar of incense. This is very symbolic of how that prayers would be offered up to God like the incense that's burned up to, uh, up to God. And so it's talking about Zacharias, this unknown priest in a small region. He's married to Elizabeth. And verse 6, this is like really, really profound. It says that they were both righteous before God. They were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and, and ordinance of the Lord blameless. Well, okay, so we know when we look at other scripture and compare scripture that like no one is like blameless in the sense that they're without sin. And this verse isn't trying to make that argument. It's just saying, look, look, they're godly people. They are sincerely serving and following God. They've given their whole life, devoted their whole life to ministry. We know this because it's next verse is going to tell us they're older in age. But yet, even though, even though they had devoted their life to follow God, they were righteous before God, they loved God, they served God faithfully. It says in verse number seven, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both were now well stricken in years. So they had this grief. And we know this because as we read further on, now this is a long chapter, it's like 80 verses, I think, so we're not going to get through all of it today. We're going to get through about 24 verses though. But as we look at this chapter and read further on, we see that this is a, a, a burden and a heartache to Elizabeth because she desperately wants a child. 
but it says that she's barren. She can't have a child. And not only that, they're now at the age where it's not going to happen. So they were, they were well beyond those years of childbearing. They're well stricken in years is the phrase. I don't know how old that was, but old enough where they couldn't have a baby. And this was a heartache to her. And, and what's important for us is to, to, to see this, that the verse right before says that they were righteous. They were faithfully serving God. But yet they had this heartache. They had this godly sorrow. And maybe you can relate to that. Not in an arrogant way where you're claiming that you're without sin, but maybe you honestly, you're a believer and a follower of Christ. And you love God and you're trying to faithfully serve him. But there's, there's something in your life right now that's a heartache. It's a burden. Maybe it's this. Maybe you want to have children and can't. Maybe you have children and you want to have more children and you can't. And maybe you've experienced what Elizabeth is, experience, is experiencing here where you're not able to. Maybe you've had a lot of miscarriages. Maybe you're not even able to get pregnant. And that weighs heavy on you. Maybe it's something completely unrelated. Maybe you're single and you wanted so bad to marry and it just seems like God's not hearing your prayer and answering your prayer. Maybe you have a child that, that you raised and, and, and that grew up and you taught him, taught him or her the word of God. And, and yet, like now they're adults and they've completely gone a different path. And that is a burden that weighs heavy on you. And every day you pray for them. And every day you're praying that God's going to bring them back to him. And I don't know what it is, but maybe there's something that weighs really heavy on you right now. Because of the situation, the circumstances in life. And know this. That God denying you of those things or what seems like his denial of those things. Isn't because God's angry at you. It's not because God's punishing you. Now sometimes that can be the case. Right? We all admit we have made a mess of things in our life. And we look back and we have no one to blame but ourselves. But that's not what's happening here. This is a godly couple. A couple that's devoted their life to ministry. They're faithfully serving God. They're righteous and, and blameless. And again, that, that just means they're, 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 they're consistently serving God and following God's ways. But yet we see what looks like God's denial is simply God's delay. That God is going to give them far greater of a plan for their life than they had envisioned. What I'm saying is this. It's okay if you have a godly heartache. It's okay if you feel like there's something that... And again, look, maybe God will say no. He has something completely different. Or maybe God's just saying this, it's not the right time. Those of you that are parents, you understand this. You know, your kids come to you right before bed. Can I have a Mountain Dew? You know what the answer is? No, you can't. What about, can I have a Mountain Dew tomorrow? A little bit of Mountain Dew after I eat something healthy. Well, that's maybe, right? Or some of you are like, no, it's still no. <laughs> you don't know my kids. They do not need it. Look, sometimes God is saying no when we pray for something because he has something far greater. He knows there's something that's much better for us. Sometimes God's just saying no, not right now.
See, and what we'll see, this common thread and theme as we're going to look at here in these first two chapters of Luke, that God is not slow, but God is patient. Peter tells us this in, in, in 1 Peter. He says, some think that God is slow. No, about returning. His second coming, the second advent that's yet to come. Peter says, no, it's not that God's slow. It's God's patient. He's not willing for people to perish, for, for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's saying what you think is God's, God being slow is God's just extremely patient. And what we find is this, so often in life, that God's timing is different and better than what we think it should be. We're going to talk more about that next week, even as we look at the, the, just the chaos in the life of Mary and Joseph when they get a birth announcement from an angel. We're going to talk more about that and, and hopefully bring an application to that even more so as we look at that next week. But let's read on. So they had no child. It came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense where he went into the temple of the Lord. So again, he's on this ministry team of priests, the team of Abiah, and it was their time when they were coming now and, and the lot fell upon him. It'd be like our equivalent of just rolling the dice, a random way where he was selected, where Zacharias was gonna go in, he was gonna offer incense on the altar of incense in the temple. So God in the Old Testament we look at like had this had had a dwelling place in a, a tabernacle that moved and then we see in the temple where that was the place where God's people would come and a priest would come and and meet with God and, and experience the presence of of God and what we see though is after Christ's death and burial and resurrection when he ascended to heaven the Spirit of God then descended and indwelled believers. And now the presence of God today, we find that it is in us. The Spirit of God takes up a residence in us. So when we come to this building, when we come and gather here at Cross Point Baptist, it's not because this is the only place God dwells. It's just we as believers come to gather, to worship in unison with one another. But God is not limited to a, a specific place, the Spirit of God indwells all those who trust in Christ and know Him. Well, here though, at, at the temple, they would go in and the priest would offer this incense. And again, this is just symbolic of the prayers, the sweet prayers that would be offered up to God. And so this was a big deal. In fact, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias. He was selected to go in. And to burn incense on the altar of incense. So he does just that. And it says in verse 10, the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of the incense. So they're outside and they're praying. This is a big deal. And Zacharias is in there in verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And this freaks out Zacharias. He goes in, no one is supposed to be in there. Now, maybe it was like this angelic being that freaked him out, but it seems like it was, Zacharias didn't know it was an angel. He thought it was just another person. 
And the big deal about that is no one was supposed to be in there. Another person who would be in there, it would make this whole, uh, this, this whole thing just completely render it ineffective. Because an un, someone who's in there who's unclean, they're coming and offering this incense before a holy God. So Zacharias was freaked out like this guy is not supposed to be in here. And, and not only that, we see like a, sometimes when angels would appear, like they don't, we don't know, or the, people wouldn't know that they were angels. You know, Hebrews tells us this, that, that be cautious, like and careful when we're, when we're tr how we treat people and the people that we meet. And he says like, you could be entertaining angels and not even know it and be unaware. You know, and I wonder, it's something fun to think about. I wonder maybe if we in, in our lifetime maybe encountered angels that we didn't even realize it or know it. Again, it's something fun to think about. But regardless of why he was afraid, it says, man, he was fearful when he saw that someone else is in here. And the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias. But don't be afraid, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. He's saying, your prayers have indeed been heard. They've been heard. And man, that gives us confidence, or should, that God hears our prayer. Even the times it seemed like God's answer is no, or God's not even listening, or God doesn't even care. God cares very much. Saying, look, the, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine or strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the power and the spirit of Elias or Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel's telling him, your son John is going to be a unique, unique child. He is going to be the one that's going to prepare the way for Christ. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to take this Nazarite vow where there's certain things he can't eat or drink and there's certain rules he has to follow. And he said, but this is a unique, unique situation, Zacharias. And when we see John the Baptist, we don't have a ton of information about him. But what we see about John the Baptist, he was indeed a unique character. He lived in the wilderness. He ate Locusts and wild honey is a diet and would yell and scream at people to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like this is a unique calling for John the Baptist. And the angel's telling Zacharias, your prayers are heard. Your prayers are heard. God's going to give you a son. Well, Zacharias isn't so sure. Like keep in mind this roller coaster of emotions. Zacharias is selected to burn incense on the altar of incense, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He goes in there, he's doing his thing, and some other guy is in there who tells him he's an angel, who tells him, you're going to have a child. Well, they hadn't been able to have a child. And not only that, they were of the age where they couldn't have a child. But yet the angel saying, you're going to have a child. Your prayers have been heard. 
So Zacharias is doubting a little bit. Zacharias in verse 18 said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. So he's saying, look, I'm Gabriel. Now Zacharias being a priest, he would be familiar with Gabriel. He would know that name. Gabriel appears in the Old Testament, specifically to Daniel. When Daniel is having an, a hard time with understanding the prophecies and when Daniel is, is in prayer to God, Gabriel comes and appears to Daniel. So Zacharias would know this name, but yet Zacharias is doubting. And because of that, Gabriel says, look, you're not going to be able to speak. He says, verse 20, thou shalt, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak. So he says, you're going to be dumb. That's not an insult. It literally is just you're dumb in the sense you're not going to be able to speak, Zacharias. Until when? Until the day that these things be performed. This was some nine months later before Zacharias would be able to speak. Because he didn't believe the word of Gabriel. Verse 21, it says, And the people waited for Zacharias. They marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. They're thinking, man, yeah, Zacharias is getting up there in age. But I mean, should it be taken this long? What's going on? Well, Zacharias, now he comes out and he can't speak. They're like, whoa, what happened? Did, did he have, was there some kind of, of, of vision that he had there? It says that when he came out, he couldn't speak unto them. And they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So it seems like what he, he's like some kind of sign language. This would have been really interesting to see how he's communicating to them what happened and then the next verse says like he fulfilled the rest of his duties there it's like wow like just kind of hey what he's doing is important and he's going to keep doing it even though he can't speak it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished he departed to his own house and after those days his wife elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months just as the angel said would happen happen a miraculous, miraculous event that Elizabeth, who hadn't been able to have a baby, and now they were old enough where, where humanly speaking seemed impossible, is going to conceive. And it says, she says this, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. She's rejoicing. Again, we know this is a heartache. We're going to read it even further on. There's another conversation when her and when Elizabeth uh, with Mary are having a conversation about this. But here she's saying, God's taken away this reproach. Because again, like, not having a baby at this time, it was kind of looked down on. It was looked down on like, well, God's judging you for something. God's judging you because you can't. Like that was just the attitude and the mindset. And not only that, like, Having a baby, having a child, like that was their 401k plan, right? Their retirement plan was our kids will take care of us when we can't take care of ourselves. How many of you look at your kids and that's utterly terrifying to think, right? Like, oh man, like we're in trouble if they're the ones who are going to take care of us. So this was a big deal. Not just that emotional hurt 
that she wanted so bad to have a child and couldn't, but just even their future well-being. This was a reproach. This was a heartache. It was a genuine heartache. And, and, and be reminded, this wasn't a bad desire. This wasn't an evil desire. This wasn't a, a desire that, 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 was, that was something that was sinful. This was a godly desire that she had. And it seemed like it wasn't going to be fulfilled. But a time when they least expected it, God miraculously is going to give them a child. And, and what we can see, and again, we're going to expound more, I, I hope, as we look at Mary's conversation with the angel next week, expound more upon really this thought of, of God's timing and God's plan for our life is significant, significantly different than the one we have planned and the one we have envisioned. But you know what this can give us, I think, some confidence and strengthen our faith in? Is that what we see here is that, look, God had a much better plan. God had a much grander plan for Zacharias and Elizabeth. It was not what they visioned. It was not what they planned. But God's timing was greater and better. And so maybe you're here today, and again, you can relate all too well to the situation you find yourself in in life right now. You find yourself in a place where it's not what you would have chosen. It, you, you feel, you honestly feel like God is not hearing my prayer. Because if God would hear my prayer, God would give me what I'm desiring. He'd give me what I'm asking because what I'm asking is something that would be good. It would be better than, than, than what things are now. But yet we see here, this is what Elizabeth and Zacharias felt. And honestly, what we see with Elizabeth and Zacharias, they could become bitter. They could become entitled. They could be, God, well, we're serving you faithfully and you're not giving us this and we're not going to serve you anymore. But no, we see they were just faithful in serving God. And we see that God's plan and God's time was beautiful. And it had a great purpose in it. They were going to give birth to John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way and prepare the hearts of people for the Messiah, for Jesus, who would come to be the Savior of the world. And when we can look at something on that grand of a scale of God entering human creation, and we see, okay, God had a purpose in it. God it was doing something even through this pain, through this heartache, because he was going to give them something far greater and far better than what they had planned. Man, that should give us confidence in our lives on a much smaller scale to know, look, God cares. God cares very much that he created us and that he has a specific purpose and a specific plan for our life. And yes, I know that we can, we can mess things up a lot through our own foolishness, through our own sin, through our own poor decisions. But even in those things, if we will turn to him, repent of those things and trust in him, that God can take something that looks broken and make it beautiful. Maybe you're struggling today with that. 
Maybe you have been praying for something for years and years, and it seems like God is silent. It seems like God is denying it. And it could be that God has just something entirely different, or it could just be that God's delaying it. It's not a denial. It might just be a delay. But what is it that you're struggling with? Are you like Zacharias and Elizabeth? You know, you know God and are following God. You're trying to serve God, but yet you have a heartache. And what I'm speaking is not a word of promise that God's going to give you what you're praying for, but a word of hope that God has a purpose in that heartache. And it might just be that now's not the timing that God has. It could be God has something entirely greater and better. And that's what we'll see next week with Mary and Joseph. Because their life was not what they had envisioned. Their life was going to get really, really chaotic and really, really scary. But yet God had a beautiful plan in this. And as we look at this, as we look at Luke's gospel, may we rest assured, these are historical things that are true. God is writing to us and giving us the account of how he entered into his own creation. But before the birth of Christ, we see here, John the Baptist is going to be born. And he is going to be born to prepare the way. He's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. So some of the other gospels, they refer to him as Elijah. And so sometimes the question comes up, well, is John the Baptist Elijah who, you know, came back from, from the dead? And I think Luke sheds light on that and saying, no, he's coming in that same spirit and power of Elijah. It's not Elijah, but he's coming in that same power and spirit like the prophet Elijah. And God had a purpose in this, in this miraculous birth of John the Baptist. And God has a miraculous plan in your life. God has a purpose in it, even in that what might feel like a great heartache and burden to you, that God has purpose in that. It's not meaningless. It's meaningful. Let's pray. God, thank you for your...